Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. On this week's Highways Voices, we begin a series of conversations taking a deeper dive into the work of the Strategic Road Network. And today, we're talking emissions. If we cannot rise to the challenge of constructing and operating our roads in a net-zero carbon way, then we're not going to have a lot of cool for construction jobs. And so the, the success and the vibrancy of the sector relies on us working together to solve this. National Highways Director of Environmental Sustainability is our guest as Highways Voices becomes National Highways Voices this week. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK and Elkrig. Hello from Paul Hutton. Steve Elderkin is our guest on this week's Highways Voices and we'll hear him chatting to Adrian Tatum in a moment in a wide-ranging chat involving net zero plans, connected vehicles and more sustainable road building to name just three of the topics that he'll be discussing. We'll hear from Steve in a few moments after Adrian picks out a couple of stories that have caught his eye on the Highways News website. The Road Surface Treatments Association is reminding members to advise their customers that using grit dust on the roads during high temperatures can help keep the road network from melting. The dust, which can be applied through gritters, should be a three millimetre down or granite or equivalent material and not sought, as suggested by one national newspaper last week. This should never be used as it will be ineffective in these conditions. When the dust is put on the network, it helps stop excessive bleeding onto the surface and makes the lively bitumen inert. This should be done as temperature reaches their maximum, so from midday onwards. An important active travel route in Glasgow has been praised for improving the number of cyclists on the road in the city. One route has seen a massive rise in a short space of time, and it's gone from seeing around 939 cyclists per week in 2019 to over 3,400 in 2022. The route forms a connection for walkers, wheelers and cyclists between the city centre and the Forth and Clyde Canal Path. And finally, the Institute for Public Policy Research has published a report outlining how to ensure a fair national transition to a net zero transport system. The government needs to fine tune its vision for improving the future of transport and should make the shift from cars to walking, cycling and public transport more accessible if it wants to hit it net zero targets. The report, Where Next? A briefing on uncertainty in transport's path to net zero wander in considerable uncertainty over the future transport sector that has been exaggerated by the incoherent government policy. You can also read news of a new Think campaign launched, faster journeys through the Tyne Tunnel and a call for a rethink on the Chichester Bypass route, plus so many more stories on the Highways News website. You can catch up with the news on Twitter and LinkedIn and sign up for our daily email to get the news to your inbox every lunchtime. When it comes to industry news, Highways News is the the only place you need to go for everything you need to know. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. 
from software as a service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day. Steve Elderkin took over as National Highway's Director of Environmental Sustainability at the beginning of the year with a remit to lead the implementation of National Highway's Net Zero Plan and Environmental Strategy, connecting the country sustainably. Adrian began by asking him his plans. So we have a ever-growing profile for environmental issues and I think what's really important is that we have a plan for how we are going to deliver the value from uh, a well-connected country uh, supported by a fit-for-purpose road network but do so in a sustainable way and there's a couple of key challenges for us in that space. One is how do we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions down to net zero not just in terms of our corporate emissions but in terms of our construction and our user emissions but also how do we deliver more environmental value from the land that we manage and operate just to give you an idea the land that we own that isn't paved is about the area of the la- of the Isle of Wight so the potential for us to deliver lots of environmental benefits from that is is huge so clearly you've got you've got a huge task ahead of you to to manage and, and plan all of this. So so exactly how do you go about planning and how do you tackle carbon reduction across the business areas and of course prioritize those those areas? We set out our commitment on this agenda last summer. We produced a net zero plan. It set out three easy to remember targets, net zero for our corporate emissions by 2030 net zero for our construction and maintenance emissions by 2040 and net zero for our user or the tailpipe emissions from from vehicles by 2050. But underneath that there is a lot of detailed planning going on and what we've actually done is make sure that all of the commitments are owned and we have action plans for delivering them and then my team are making sure that we are delivering against those plans and that those plans are in place. So just to give you an idea of the scale of it, there's something like 46 action plans now across the company. I'm really clear that what we can't do is have a big central team that is delivering on carbon and everyone else carries on working as they did before. Actually, carbon needs to become part of everyone's role and everyone's decision making. So my team are going to remain pretty small. Actions are going to be owned across the business and if we deliver against the commitments in the plan then we will deliver the carbon reductions that we need to. So some of the changes you might want to make might be quite significant in terms of the way people are working or the supply chain is working. How will you implement them into into different areas of the business and of course the projects that are actually been delivered on the ground and how will you measure performance in terms of carbon reduction and and then prioritise as a result moving forward. Yeah, so I do, I do think there are some significant changes coming. The the pace of change that's required to hit the decarbonisation goals that we set as a country and in terms of our plan are almost radical uh, in terms of the pace. So just to give you an idea, UK carbon budgets are getting tighter. The sixth carbon budget that starts in only 11 years' time is less than 40% of the level of today's carbon budget. And so there is a more than 60% reduction required in 11 years. So that is a a really 
uh, dramatic change at the economy level in, in terms of emissions. So, so there are changes coming, no question. It sounds a little bit dull, but a real enabler of making the change within our construction emissions particularly is to have a carbon management system in place. And there are some key elements to a an effective carbon management system. We need to be able to project or estimate the carbon associated with uh, our investments. Secondly, we need to be able to contract, uh, incentivize, penalize people we are working with, our partners within contracts for delivering against carbon reduction targets. So uh, you can imagine that there will be, just as there are kind of financial aspects to con contracts, there will be carbon aspects to contracts in the future. And thirdly, we need to monitor and measure the outturn. So how much carbon is being produced, uh, not just estimate it beforehand, but you know, in actual fact, what, what carbon is being produced and is that in line with what was expected through the design and, and in the contract. All of that provides the kind of data and the understanding that we can use to support decision making. So all of our governance decisions needs to be thinking about not just financial affordability, but carbon affordability. And our decision makers need to have good carbon information in front of them. But also for our, our partners, our contractors, they need to have the understanding of where the carbon is coming from, which parts of their design are carbon intensive, so that they can target their efforts to find alternative lower carbon ways of, of delivering the benefits from, the, from their projects. And, and last year, National Highways launched a digital strategy and also one for the development of autonomous plant. How, how will these strategies help you with what you're trying to achieve? At the core of the the standard for managing carbon infrastructure, which is actually titled PAS 2080, there is a carbon reduction hierarchy. And the best or the way that you're going to reduce your carbon the most is if you build nothing or if you can't build nothing, you build less. And so one of the, the areas that we need to think really hard about and stretch ourselves on is how do we deliver the vital connections that the, the the road network delivers how do we help goods get to places families get together people get on holiday how do we do all that while not having to build more road surface if digital technologies mean that we could get more throughput on an existing road that could reduce the need to construct and through that reduce the release of greenhouse gas emissions. Similarly, digital technologies offer some opportunities like uh, you know, digital twin, digital rehearsals, right first time, quality. There is waste at the moment in construction processes. We do things and we have to redo them. If we can get it right first time, you avoid all of the extra carbon emissions associated with that, with that rework. If you can optimise the design through digital design work, that will in, in turn also reduce your materials, your, your haulage and, and your plant movements. So all of that can contribute to reducing carbon emissions associated with our projects. There's been a lot of talk around off-site construction over the last couple of years. Do you, do you see that as one of the answers to what you're trying to achieve and, and, and how you manage that process uh, through the supply chain? Um, I, I think lots of innovative ideas are going to have to contribute and 
I don't want to get too far into predicting exactly which technology will win. It will be a case of there will be circumstances where off-site manufacture is, is the best and there'll be cases where, where it's not. And so factors to consider will be the, the, the kind of haulage, the relative haulage costs. But one of the things that off-site manufacture offers is it's easier to deliver a higher level of quality control and with higher levels of quality control you can have more careful use of things like cement you don't have to maybe have the same level of safety factor in terms of your your design for strength because you're more confident in the quality of 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 what you're building so i can see some ways that off-site manufacturer may Uh, be really beneficial for for carbon, but it won't be uh, always the answer. You're listening to Highways Voices and we'll hear more from National Highways Director of Environmental Sustainability, Steve Elderkin, in a moment after our partner news with Sarah. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, Elkrig, ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. ITS UK has given more details of its Members' Day in Milton Keynes on the 13th of October. It's to be hosted by Executive Members the Connected Places Catapult during the day, followed by the President's Dinner and Awards, which is hosted by ITS UK President Steve Norris at the nearby Jury's Inn Hotel in the evening. Among activities at the Members' Day, there will be a chance to see some of the innovations the Catapult has supported. There will also be a debate entitled Putting the Clothes Back on the Emperor, where delegates will get the chance to anonymously question perceived wisdom on future transport trends and whether what we assume will happen and is wanted is actually what travellers embrace or accept. Members will be able to post their questions and comments before and during the event without fear of speaking against the narrative and the most interesting and possibly controversial will be discussed. Smart Video and Sensing and Clearview Intelligence have already signed up as sponsors of the Members' Day, President's Dinner and Awards, and they will also be speaking at the event. Other sponsorship opportunities are available. And the day before, members of the Transport Technology Forum's Technical Working Group on Vehicle-to-Infrastructure Communications will get to experience the very latest in technology to display real-time information to vehicles at an event at one of the UK's leading test tracks. The Spatula Group meeting on the 12th of October at the UTAC site at Millbrook in Bedfordshire will involve updates on the latest developments in Green Light Optimised Speed Advisory, GLOSSA, in-vehicle signage and wider connected data. Participants will be able to see live and real-time in-vehicle messaging working on the test track, with a variety of use cases only demonstrable on a closed road. Members of ADEPT have been raising concerns over the continuing massive energy price increases. Officers in charge of street lighting are reporting how prices are having an uncertain impact on current and future budgets. Some local authorities are looking at how they may be able to reduce energy consumption through trimming, dimming and part-night lighting. However, this could be affected by ongoing material shortages. In some cases, the lack of central management system equipment is impacting on LED rollouts and there is a general concern that uncertain availability is affecting project delivery. Material cost increases are also an ongoing concern and ADEPT is continuing to monitor the situation among members. 
Elkrieg's first innovation festival took place at Newark Showground last week and has been hailed a huge success. More than 60 different local highways authorities attended the event with the DFT, National Highways, Welsh Government and other key bodies represented over the two days. With over 450 delegates and 59 exhibitors, those in attendance enjoyed outdoor demonstrations, presentations and panel sessions, live music, food and entertainment. And to top it off, local authority members have committed to spending hundreds and thousands of pounds on innovation trials with exhibitors. You can find out more about some of the key highlights by visiting elkrig.org.uk. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Now back to our chat with Steve Elderkin, National Highways Director of Environmental Sustainability. And Adrian next asked him about how the supply chain fits into his plans. We need to work together and see this as a shared challenge as an industry we are delivering something of enormous value, which is uh, uh, the road network. Um, Something like uh, nine out of 10 miles traveled in this country are on roads. That roads will have to be part of uh, the future sustainable transport system in the UK. But if we cannot rise to the challenge of constructing and operating our roads in a net zero carbon way, then we're not gonna have a lot of cool for construction jobs. And so the the success and the vibrancy of the sector relies on us working together to solve this. I'd really like to get to a place where carbon is like safety. At at the moment in our industry, if someone has a good idea for something that will improve safety, uh, reduce the risk of harm, then we share it immediately. And it's not a commercial consideration. Similarly, if we can identify an innovation or a method that reduces carbon, can we share it? Can we can we be open with our data, with our approaches, share across the industry what's working and together drive down the carbon intensity of, of construction? I guess that part relies on, on good communication, right? I've been in this role since January. I haven't done as much media or presentation as, uh, in, a, in a long time. And, you know, tomorrow I'm speaking to 500 of our uh, supply chain partners uh, at a conference. It's making sure we've got that shared understanding of what the challenge is, uh, where we're going, uh, what the kind of systems are that will be will be coming in and, and, and the expectations, but also building that sense of together we, we've, we've got to solve this. I just want to focus for, for a minute on, on research and development. Um, the, the question for you is, if you had an unlimited amount of money to spend on research to improve sustainability, where would you spend it? <laughs> So I had a, an opportunity uh, this week to present to our Research and Innovation Advisory Board, and I pitched a few grand challenges that I, I think we should be thinking about. Clearly, construction carbon, uh, well, for me, it's the, the most challenging of our, of our targets, and it's the one where there are some really hard to reduce emissions so we use materials that are energy intensive to produce some of them release carbon dioxide as part of the chemical reaction that that, that produces them so cement and there's a lot of haulage and there, and there's plant and getting that right down to zero is going to be really challenging can we do more to sequester carbon during our construction can we move to different materials that are actually locking up 
carbon that's been uh, absorbed from the atmosphere. So uh, a simple example would be a timber bridge. But, uh, you know, are there other other ways that we could use uh, more biocarbon in our construction? I think that would really help offset those last few residual emissions that are, are really difficult to avoid. I'd like to see us think about a future where we have connectivity across the network and all cars have got the information they're currently getting from roadside signs and signals in the car. It would avoid the need for the materials involved in all the steel and concrete erecting gantries, uh, the, the ongoing electricity consumption and the visual impact from, from those roadside signs and signals. Now clearly that's a long way away, there'd be lots of considerations around safety but I'd, I'd be thinking about what is that future digital in-car operating model that would allow a big switch off of roadside signs and signals. I'd also really be keen to think about how do we squeeze out as much productivity from our existing asset as possible. And by that, I mean kind of how do you get as much throughput on, on it but by the use of digital technologies, maybe it's platooning, maybe it's ride sharing apps, maybe it's better integration with other modes. How do we get as much out of, of the existing highly valuable asset as, as we can? You mentioned it earlier, Steve, but there's been a call for many years to reduce road building generally in the UK, not just across your network, but all networks and, and invest more money in public transport and really get that offer right. Do you expect RIS 3 and RIS 4 to be more about maintaining what you have, getting the best out of what you have rather than building new roads? So I think the first first thing we should prioritise when building up our next investment plan is the maintenance of the existing asset. We've sunk a lot of carbon, a lot of cost into it existing. It is ageing and I think it should have the first call on our funding. I also think, as I've mentioned in some of the other questions, I do think we should stretch ourselves about how much we can use the existing asset to deliver all the connections we need. And I think it does raise the bar in terms of making the case for for new road investment. Could public transport be the answer? Could a mixture of behaviour change and modal shift and remote working, ride sharing help us to meet the demand that is there? I think all of those there are Go back again, though, that the, the road network is vital for the prosperity of the country. It does things in a way that is more flexible. It's affordable. It's accessible. It really connects people together. And there are things that the road network does that other transport modes, modes cannot do as well. And it's absolutely important that we as a country continue to invest in that road system. And in terms of maintaining what you've got, I, I guess it's easier now to maintain what, what you've got uh, at a lower carbon offer, really, with, you know, with techniques such as the development of lower temperature asphalt, things like asphalt preservation, which obviously holds the condition of the road for, for, for longer. How, how do you plan to incorporate some of those things into maintaining the network? But also, I guess, when you do have to build new roads, that the surface of the road could be a lot more sustainable than it than it was 10 20 years ago all of these innovations and new materials are 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 part of the answer really important and we need to grab the opportunities that that are there so recently uh, i had highlighted to me by a professor of concrete uh, janet lees that our 
standards were prescribing a particular concrete mix. If we were permissive and allowed a lower cement concrete mix, it would still meet the, de the, the design strength requirements, but it would reduce the amount of cement needed by a third and, and reduce the carbon by about a third. So we have within what is a short period for our standards, been able to make an update in, in that space, uh, allow that different mix to be used, and immediately you're into a place where, where, where the kind of carbon emissions associated with that non-structural concrete is reduced by, or has the potential to be reduced by a third. Warm mixed asphalt, as you said, is, is another, uh, and that's reflected now in our standards as the preferred way of surfacing the road. So we need to be nimble and agile with our standards. We need the innovation, the creativity of the industry to come through with new approaches and new methods. We've mandated that all plant on our sites will be zero emission by 2030. And as progressively we move to lower carbon haulage, that will also, you know, uh, as heavy goods vehicles move to, to hydrogen or electric, that will also make a significant contribution. Interestingly, something like 60% of the emissions from our maintenance activities arises from plant and from transport rather than the materials. So addressing those two things will get us a long way. And just finally, Steve, as a result of the pandemic, people are travelling differently at different times in different ways. Will, will that make any difference to managing air quality, do you think? Yeah, so uh, changes in flow, number of trips does impact on the release of air pollution. And so those changes will have an impact on air quality, often beneficial, I think. Uh, so private car use is still below where it was before the pandemic. But the longer term solution is absolutely the move to uh, electric vehicles and and what's very positive to see is the rapid increase in in the uptake of uh, electric vehicles which will go a long way to reduce some of the air pollution problems that we that we have important stuff from national highways director of environmental sustainability steve elderkin there and certainly worth alerting colleagues to what he had to say because some of his comments there have real issues and opportunities for our industry now that's almost it for this highways voices but before we go it's time for adrian's accolade and my accolade winner this week is marlborough highways the company has partnered with a part of the Shaw Trust to develop a two-week construction programme for the residents of London boroughs of Harry Hackney and Newham, taking place at Marlborough's Garnham Road office in Tottenham. And starting on the 25th of July, the scheme forms part of the Shaw's Trust Constructions Academy and will help attendees gain experience and qualifications while developing their CV and interview skills. Once participants have completed the course, they'll be guaranteed an interview with the opportunity to work at Marlborough. Worthy winners this week indeed. Thanks, Adrian. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another Highways Voices next Wednesday. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 